Now, there's enough only if we learn to share. Now, say that to the person next to you. Well, only if you learn to share. There's enough, right? So that, that's going to be a big part of what we're talking about. The other one is this. Enough is enough. Say that to the person next to you. And make sure you say it back with extra force to the person who just said it to you. Enough is enough. Enough is enough, and then, but here's the caveat. Only if we learn constraint and to live within our means. So you can say that, hey, only if you learn to live within your means. Those are the two kind of driving, it's a theology of enough. And that's what we want to talk about today. If we learn to live with constraint and we learn to live sharing, then, then wow, the future looks so different. So we've got the kids in here with us today, and I need, I need somebody who's not gluten-free um, and who can help me answer, okay, is that Marjoline? Come on up, Marjoline, you can be my first. Are you not gluten-free? Can you eat gluten? Yeah. You, well, is your mom in here? Your dad's in here. Yes, okay. Here, you take this microphone. I got a question for you. How did your parents teach you to share? Um, by like giving, having someone, having, yeah, giving something to me and then having it give it someone to somebody else. So they would give you something to you and say, give that to somebody else? Wow. That's what mom did. That's what your mom did? And she taught you to share? Well done, Manya. Manya's not here. I think she's at the women's retreat, right? Also my preschool teacher. How else did they teach you to share? Um, can't remember. Would you like an um, apple fritter or a cinnamon roll? I need somebody else to share with me up here. One more person. How did your parents teach you to share? And you can have one of these if you would like it. Do I have anybody else who's willing to share? Oh, come on up. Grant. Are you willing to come? Do you just want a cinnamon roll and an apple fritter? <laughs> or are you willing to teach us, how do your parents teach you to share? Or, uh, I don't... Yeah, come, come on up. Come on up. <laughs> yeah, introduce yourself. Hi. I know you're Mr. Mm. Gilcrest Jr. Mm. How did your parents, can you say your name? My name is Fierce. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And how did your parents teach you to share? Um, well, sharing something with others. Like a toy or something like that. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's great. You're, that, is, that, is, that is wonderful. Um, you can have a donut too, Mr. Gilchrist. Oh, you guys can go. That's all I had. Uh, I, do need, I do need one more. Do I have a, Oh, yeah, come on back. Oh, this is Grant too. Okay. I got a different question for you. And this is going to be much more dangerous. This is way more dangerous. So, I've, do you like, do you prefer cinnamon rolls or apple fritters? Apple fritters, definitely. Okay, apple, oh, sorry, this is for you. Apple fritters, definitely. Okay. There's three, how much would you say this weighs? 
Five pounds. How many apple fritters are there? Three. How have your parents taught you restraint? Now, this, do you know what that means, restraint? Uh, I do. How have they taught you restraint? By telling us not to touch it. Oh. <laughs> Don't touch. That's, that's, that works. Don't touch. Uh, how else have they taught you, like, to say, hey, know your limits, right? How have they taught yeah, you? Um, like, slowly over time, they've given us more freedom, I guess. Like, yeah, sure, here's $10, only get one thing. Okay. So, right, and, you know, so slowly over time, they've increased trust, and it builds yeah. up, and now, yeah. So, Grant, I'm going to give you those. All of them? Yeah. Um, and this will be a key example of showing restraint. If you ate all three of those apple fritters right now... My dad would, would kill me. <laughs> and you might get sick. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. But they're yours. All right. All right, there you go. <laughs> now, um, oh, there he goes. And as another one, you know, Pierce did a great job with that. I called him Grant, but Pierce, he had the, and these are cinnamon rolls, and you can just pass them through, right? Just pass them around, and we'll see how far they get. Right? That's what we're talking about, this theology of enough. Um, there is enough. If we only learn how to share, this will be a great example, right? Um, and also, enough is enough if we can only learn constraint. There is enough. And so we're, we're looking at this right now, and there's one text that I really want us to focus in on that kind of teaches this. It's found in Exodus chapter 16, um, and it's when Israel were enslaved to Egypt for a period of like 250 years, but it was a 400-year process that they were there, but they were enslaved for a long time. And the Pharaoh at the time all of a sudden realized there's not enough. That's called scarcity when you believe there's not enough. And he somehow got this idea, this worldview, that there's not enough. And so when you get afraid when there's not enough, what do you do? You take. And you enslave people. And you take from others. And that's what he did. He enslaved people. And he took their property. And he took their possessions all for himself and for Egypt. And they enslaved Israel. And when they saw Israel expanding and multiplying and growing, he even tried to kill their children. Because he said, oh, there's not enough. And so you begin to become more and more frightening and scary. And the whole, so that, that's what they came out of. God freed this people. It's a picture of what happened with Jesus. He freed the people from this, this bondage. And he led them into a desert of all places. A desert. He freed them from this whole culture that said there's not enough. There is not enough. They were enslaved and the Christ came to God and he freed them by his powerful and good arm and he leads them into a desert. And when they're there, God provides for them. For 40 years, he provides for them. That's the end of the story, right? That's the, and right now, and when he, when he led them out of this desert after 40 years where he provided for them in a desert with enough, he commanded them for seven days to build these temporary shelters 
not in their homes, but these little temporary shelters and put branches on the top. And I want you to go into these shelters for eight days, seven days if you're in Jerusalem, and you celebrate God's provision when you were in the desert for those 40 years. And that's called the Festival of Sukkot, the Festival of Booths. And that's happening right now. And so if you live in a park or Southfield or where there's a Jewish presence, you might see these little shelters built up. Or if you're kind of strange like me, which you're not Jewish, but yet you love those festivals, you might have a booth set up in your backyard. Right? You all should. Not because you're mandated to, but we need these symbols, these reminders that there's enough. We're not Jewish, but we need reminders that there's enough, again and again, of God's provision. Jesus, when he healed ten lepers, nine of them were of the Jewish religion, and one wasn't, and the one guy comes back to Jesus and thanks him. And he said, is this foreigner? Is this person who's not Jewish, is he the only one who comes back to give me thanks? He was struck by that. And I believe that all of us who are not Jewish had this opportunity to return again and again every year and give God thanks for his provision for us. So in the story of Exodus 16, I want to pull this out a little bit more. There is enough. God frees them and he leads them into this desert. And as they're in the desert, the people of Israel begin to do this. And now this is only like a month and a half. They've been in the desert. God's been providing for them. All of a sudden, they begin to do this. They begin to look back towards Egypt. And they look back at Egypt, and they begin to have this imagination of what it was like. Now, again, let me tell you what it was like. They were enslaved, they were being treated cruelly, and Pharaoh was trying to kill their kids. That's what happened. But yet, we're in the desert, they begin to look back on the past, and they begin to think this. This is in Exodus chapter 16, um, and this is in verse 3. The Israelites said to them, If only... We had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt because they're sad to be in the desert, right? They think they're going to die there. There we sat around pots of meat and we ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us, and he's speaking to Moses here, you've brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Their imagination has been crippled, right? They had this distorted imagination. They begin to turn back and to look toward their past, which wasn't good. And they remember, well, you know what? Wow, we had pots of meat, and we used to sit around in the good old days, and they weren't good. We're always tempted to have this distorted imagination, especially when we're sitting in our present. And if the present scares us, and when our present stares us because we're in a desert, <laughs> And we've known a future of, we've known a past of hard, hardship. All of a sudden we can get a little bit spooked. Because we haven't maybe known the generous and the good hand. We, we haven't been reminded, our imaginations haven't been changed fully by God. But see, here's what God does. He meets them. And so the Lord says to Moses in verse 4, I'll rain down bread from heaven to you. The people are to go out each day and to gather enough for that day. And in this way, I'll test them to see whether they'll follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they're to prepare what they are to bring in, and there will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Then in verse 9, then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, 
come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. He's heard their grumbling because they were afraid they were going to die. And while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert. And there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. So I just want to stop there, right? Man, if you're on this journey and you have lived in a culture, and let me tell you, you do. You live in a culture that tells you there's not enough. Right? Everyone around you whispers there's not enough. And so you must take what you can get for you and your people, whatever that circle is, they tell you it's not enough. And it only would get worse if you find yourself in a desert, a desert scenario, right? Where the time even looks more scary than the past did. They're in a desert, and God is meeting them, and he has them not look towards Egypt, but they're looking towards the desert. And what do they see? Who do they see in the cloud, in the desert? Kids, can you answer this question? I, I know I'm, you know. Who do they see in the cloud? God. Thank you, Pierce. They see God. See, God is wanting to show up in our deserts. He wants to show that he is there. He is there in these places, and he is there to tell people in the desert, in the deserts of their life, what is important and what is possible. Because the culture is going to tell you something else about what is important and what is, what is possible in the desert. But God is there for us to see him. And this is crucial. He wants us to see him. He wants to know, hey, I I'm here Look to the desert. This is where I'm inviting you. And I'm going to show you what's important. I'm going to show you what's, what's possible in the desert. That's where he's leading them. And he leads them into the see him. He leads them there. And in verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the, grub the grumblings of the Israelites tell them. At twilight you'll eat meat. In the morning you'll be filled with bread. Then you will know that I'm the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost were on the ground, appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It's the bread of the Lord he's given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. In verse 17, the Israelites did what they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. <clears throat> Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. Gather what you need for today. It will be enough. Eat it. Don't keep any of it for tomorrow. What do you think some people did? What would you do? So, if you know the story, however... In verse 20, some of them paid no attention to Moses and they kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. 
So Moses was angry with them. Um, I sometimes will take the trash um, out on Saturday and put it in there, and my trash gets picked up on Friday, so it will sit all week. And there has been times when I will look into the trash and there are maggots. Have you seen those in your trash before too? Disgusting. And so on this one night, this thing turns into maggots and begins to smell as they... Um, it's, it's, it's almost odd to call it hoarding, right? They had enough. They were told, don't, don't keep any of it for the next day. But instead of eating and receiving for what they needed for the day, they held some back for the next day. Why? Right? Why? I mean, again, it doesn't tell us. We can only just sort of imagine. Why? Is it because they believe there will not be enough for tomorrow? There will not be enough for tomorrow, even though God's saying, hey, I'm going to give this for, for you today. I'm here with you. There will not be enough for tomorrow. And so they take up more, and it spoils. It reveals itself like death. When they begin to live under the scarcity mindset that there's not enough, they see like this, it's death for them. It's not life. So verse 21 each morning everyone gathered as much as they needed and when the sun grew hot it melted away on the sixth day however they gathered twice as much two omers for each person and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses and he said to them this is what the Lord commanded tomorrow is to be, is to be a day of Sabbath rest a holy Sabbath to the Lord so bake what you want to bake boil what you want to boil save whatever is left to keep until morning so they saved it until morning, so Moses, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. He said, eat it today, Moses said, because today is the Sabbath to the Lord, and you will not find any on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day of the Sabbath there will not be any. So do you get that? They gather as much as they needed for all the other days of the week, just for one day. Don't save any for the next day. You'll have enough. But on Friday... As we head into Saturday, on Friday, you're actually going to collect two times as much as you have. And once it turns into Saturday, that food will not spoil and get maggots. That food will continue to lead to life. And on that day, do not, do not go out and gather and look for food. It's meant to be a rest for you. Right? That's how it worked. How cool, right? What do you think happened? What do you think happened on that Saturday when even people had some saved up and stuff, but it was Saturday and he said, hey, don't, don't go out and, and get food for that day. What do you think happened? Is there a scripture behind me? Did you already read it? Okay, good. What do you think happened? The same thing would happen if we were doing it. <laughs> they go out to get more. Right? Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Why did they go out? Because they didn't think there'd be enough for today. And maybe they feared there wouldn't be enough for tomorrow. So they went out, even though God was continuing to provide for them. Last verse. Not the last verse, but the last one I want to read. Verse 32 in this passage. 
Verse 32, Moses said this. This is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. Um, God gave them this bread for 40 years. They continued to have this when they crossed over the Jordan into the land that God promised that it stopped showing up. So they took that bread, they put it in a jar of some kind, and they put it into the ark, into the tabernacle, and they, they kept it there as a reminder. That's the story of God's provision. So, okay, so what do we do here in this theology of Nuff? How, how is it that we too can have our hearts turned from a culture that continues to tell us there's not enough and to begin to believe the generous God that we have who says, there's enough, there's enough, there's enough. And I think there's a couple things in here that we looked at that we can do. And here's one of the first ones. Um, we need to see God in our, deserts, in our deserts to have a renewed imagination of what is possible. We need to continue to see God showing up in these places he's inviting us into. Even when we look at it, we say, I don't know how we're going to make that. I don't know how we're going to sustain that. I don't know how we're going to go there. I don't know how we're going to do that. Yet, God, we get this sense that God's inviting us into something better, into life, right? Not into death, into life. We don't have spot, but we need, we need to see God. We need to see God, and he loves to show up and show himself in the clouds to say, right? That he would say, oh, here's where I'm inviting you. I want to continue to show you I'm there. I'm there. We need to see God. We need to see God in our deserts to have this renewed imagination of what is possible. Number two, Sabbath is crucial for this. It's a gift. It's this day of rest that God has given us. Some chance of rest that says you don't actually have to work and slave and push every day. Right? No, God is providing. He's actually giving you a chance to say enough is enough. And Sabbath is actually a gift of what helps to show constraint. Enough is enough. Show constraint. You don't have to work every day and be anxious every day and pushing. And so one of the, th- one of the ways is how, do we, how can we learn constraint? Well, Sabbath is meant to be a gift But when we first begin to practice it, it won't feel like a gift because all of our anxiety will rush to the surface, right? It will rush to the surface and we'll say, what am I going to do tomorrow? I don't have clean underwear. Or, you know, what's going to happen for the kids' lunches? Or what are we going to eat the next day? Or who's going to cut the grass? It is five inches long and I'm going to get a ticket from the city. And I won't have time to do it, right? All these things that will push us that there's not enough to get all the stuff done. That's me. That's me. Sabbath is a gift to teach us that there's enough. And enough is enough. Do you, do you have a day in order? So how do we learn constraint? Well, how about rest for a day, a week? Well, you don't, you don't work. And believe me, your anxiety probably, if you're not good at this and if you're like me and stuff, you're, to just kind of rest and to, and to receive God's provision, you get anxious. This is a growing thing. And God is wanting to continue to teach us to say, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. Look to the future. Look, look to this desert and let me show you I'll provide. Stop looking back at the Egypts that tell you there's not enough. And the other part is this. What reminders have you set up before you to recall God's provision in the desert? 
Do you have any of those reminders set up? Stories that you can share again and again and again. And physical things to remind you. So that this festival, this once a year festival, is a festival that reminds us of God's provision in the desert. What are yours? Do you have stories of God's provision in the deserts of your life? Church, you do. You do. So do I. They come flooding in. They grab my heart and they grab my emotions and I, when I think about them, I begin to cry, right? I'm already intense as it is, right? And then when I start crying, it just gets weird and ugly and funny and all the above. In the deserts of life, when God shows up, do you have markers of those moments? I remember, I'll, t- I'll share one, right? I-, I can remember God's provision in the desert. It was the season of Carmel being hurt, not being able to work, and our income got cut in half, right? Newly married, newly in a home that we had just purchased, um, and, and wondering how to, like, all right, how are we going to do this? How are you going to do this? How are you going to have enough? And all of a sudden, a, a missionary shows up calls me in Royal Oak saying, I'm from Africa. And I, I just went on the internet finding churches in the area. And I'm looking for a place I can stay for free. Because <laughs> I'm going to Southfield Hospital in order to learn, because I, I help kids with facial surgeries. And I'm like, and I, and Carmel and I lived four blocks from Providence Hospital in Southfield. And we had like a, you know, a 1,200 square foot house and just the two of us, right? So I'm like, and he's like, I need a place to stay for three months. Like, no problem. There's enough, right? God has given us a lot in this. Easy. Come, come stay with us. His name was Tim. He, he was wonderful. And he called out of the blue. He was just calling churches randomly. And somehow I even answered the phone. I don't answer phones. Not at the office, right? I don't usually do it. But I did. It was him. I'm like, no problem. What, you know, just show up. And he does. He shows up. He stays with us for three months. And at the end of it, he's like, Bo, do you understand that there's doctors from all over the world who come to train with this doctor here in Southfield, here at Providence? His name is Ian Jackson. He is the foremost craniofacial surgeon in the world. He's 80 years old and works 16-hour days and doesn't take a day off. He's, he's a part of the culture, right? It's not enough. Um, but he's amazing, and people from all over the world come to train with him, and they have to stay here in Providence, and there's no hotels. Could I give him your address, and, and you could maybe house people? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and from that time, I start receiving calls. I didn't even tell him how much, but every doctor who called us said, I heard your rate is, and they increased it. <laughs> every time. Up to the point, there were some times when we would have two students, and they'd be paying our mortgage just was staying in our basement. And we must have housed doctors for, I don't know, three or four or five years. God's provision, right? Didn't have to make it happen. He did. In our desert, he provided. And what are those markers? Now, that's a marker for me. It's a marker of in a desert of God meeting that. And I, I know the story, and I'm reminded of, I'm reminded of others of just God's generosity. He's like, man, you're in your desert, I'm gonna provide. Boom, boom. I'm going to show you I'm in the desert. I'm with you. There's enough. And enough is enough so you can be generous. What are the markers that you have? What are the things that you can, you can do to remember that time? The seasons where you can look up and you can see those. Do you have those? 
See, there is enough we could learn to share, and, and enough is enough when we learn to live within our means. And second, th- this text in Exodus was actually brought into 2 Corinthians when Paul was wanting to teach the church how to be generous. This is really interesting. And so I'm going to close with this before um, we go and I pray for you as we, um, as we go in this. Paul pulls in this text into this and he's encouraged them because there was this church and the Macedonian church who was really poor and yet they were really pumped to be generous because they lived this mantra of there's enough. There is enough. There is enough. And so they were just so, so, so generous as a people. And so Paul's encouraging the rest of the the Corinthian church about this, saying, oh my gosh, look at this community. I'm not here to shame you. I'm just pointing out this picture. They look like Jesus. That's what he's pointing. They look like Jesus. And then so he turns the text in 2 Corinthians 8 to Jesus, and he says, well, here's what Jesus did. Here's a pattern in verse 9. He said this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know the grace, how good he was, right? You know the grace of Jesus, though he was rich. He was God in flesh. He was rich in life. John says that all that has existed has come from him, that he is the light of the world. Nothing existed without him, right? He is rich. Though he was rich, yet for your sake, your sake, our sake, he became poor. He became poor so that you, and that you is not just you, it's you collective, it's us, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. That we might receive all of the abundant spiritual blessings of God through Jesus Christ. So it's, oh, here, here's a paradigm, there's enough. If only we would learn to share. Only if we would learn to live out this pattern. How do we show constraint? Oh, we can show some constraint by giving, being generous with what God has given us. When he has poured out abundantly upon us, we can say, oh, there's enough. And we can extend. We can give of what God has given us to others who have need. This is what Paul was trying to encourage them because this is what he says at the end of this text. In verse 13, our desire is not that others might, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. And Nietzsche was sharing about the people who she's working with who are struggling, right? Who are working real hard and working two jobs and, and maybe even working, and sure, they work in seven days a week, struggling to meet it. And yet the scriptures here says, well, how, do, how, does, that, how does that happen? Well, it happens when we, when we share. When we share. Not that uh, we're to... to not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty, if this is you, if it's me, will supply what they need. So that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it's written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. 
You know where that quote's from? Exodus 16, in the manna story we just read. Paul says, oh, here, here it is, church. In our plenty, we should share. Enough is enough. There is enough. That's the theology of enough. And we need to we open our eyes to see the God who is with us and driving us to live out his abundant grace in this world. This is not easy. <laughs> but it is simple. And all the kids here today knew exactly what we were talking about. There is enough if only we could learn to share. There is enough if only we could learn constraint. Lord God, would you come and breathe on us a new, a new imagination for our present and the future of your gospel of enough. Of the one God where you um, became poor so that we could become rich. And would you help us to have an imagination, right, to be able to see not something that is false, but something that is true of how rich we are in you. Would you open our eyes, God, to look at our present realities and to look into that what might be the desert and to see you present. So God, would you come and illuminate the imaginations of your people here who are in deserts to see you present with them. Open our eyes, God, to see it differently, to see you inviting us so we don't turn back and go back towards death, but we go back towards life. And we pray, God, that we could join you in what you're doing. And as Jesus invited the rich to sell what they have and extend it to the poor, may you invite us into that radical kind of life. So teach us, Lord, of your theology of enough. Would you speak, God, in a way that our hearts could be encouraged, that we could rest today and not be anxious and open our hands and be generous. Teach us and shape us, we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, so we're inviting you to be generous, and we're going to be talking about our budget here soon, how we want to drive our generosity up as a church. Um, and we're going to be inviting you as participants to be opening your hands together as a church that we would we invite you to, to join us in that and sharing with the abundance that God has given you to what we're trying to do. That God would open your abundance to share with those around you. As God would direct you. He would show you how to learn how to learn constraint, either by practicing Sabbath, potentially. But God would be gracious to you. We're going to close with a song. And the song is called Enough. Or More Than Enough, right? The song's called Enough. And it's about God being more than enough for us. And so um, may the Holy Spirit illuminate you today in discussion. May you talk as you go today. May you share with others saying, hey, when has God shown up in our past and provided for us in the desert? Would you share a story with that with somebody today, either before you leave here or when you're at lunch? And would you figure out a way to mark that in your home with a symbol or a reminder, a picture to remember that God shows up in our deserts and you can look at it again and again to remind you he's enough. Sound good, church? Hey, let's stand up and let's sing what we know to be true and may God meet it and help our hearts to believe it.